0: It's called Pashtunwali. It's the code of honor. Pashtunwali.
1: Mm. What are you doing? Yeah. Three obligations. First, Milmastia, hospitality. Milmastia. Second, Badal, revenge. Badal. Third, Nanawate. the obligation to give um, sanctuary
2: to all those who ask. All right. To all? all even the enemy oh what if i kill your brother and you come for badal revenge and i ask for uh nanawati then i would be obligated to feed
3: clothe and protect you it's incredibly civilized
2: what is it nanawati nana Wate. nana Wate.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We are going to look at a completely different genre for us this time. We're going to look at a war film. You could consider this like a drama slash war film. But uh, yeah, definitely like it would be considered a war film, which is something that we haven't touched before. And this is the first movie that we've done where it was a listener suggestion. Somebody reached out to me on Facebook, I believe maybe like a month and a half ago or something. And they were saying that they thought this was an interesting film and they were kind of giving some of the background on it. And they had been reaching out to some like different podcasts and stuff to try to spread the word. And I looked it up and it seemed like it uh, fit for us and what we do. And it seemed like it could have some things to discuss. So I got a crew together for it. So we're going to be looking at the beast from 1988, um, which is, original the original title was the beast of war but it went when it was ultimately released in theaters it went under the title the beast which is kind of confusing if you are going to a movie theater and uh, see the beast you're not going to assume that this is a movie about soviet tank battles but it is um the beast of war would have uh, conveyed that a little better i think it was directed by Kevin Reynolds, who has done various things in his career. But his most notable stuff is he did the movie Fandango, which was kind of like a cult hit. Steven Spielberg produced it. One of the, like the first things Spielberg ever produced. And Kevin Costner was in that in a very early role for him. And this guy, Kevin Reynolds, has worked with Costner a number of times. I think they're on good terms and are friends. Following this movie, he went on to do Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I think kind of at the behest of Costner or the studio was trying to court Costner from the, for the role. And they knew that he was tight with this director. So he went from this movie, which is like a fairly small film to doing like a pretty big budget, you know, big budget for the day, uh, studio action film with a major star. And so I think that was 1991. And then he later did water world, which, did no benefits for his career. Uh, also with now, Kevin, hold on a Kevin Costner there,
0: right? and but talk about Waterworld. <laughs> well Yes yeah, we're talking about Waterworld today, right? So I'm just a saying lot of this regardless
1: of any quality Waterworld. of Waterworld, I'm just saying that it was not a success. It was a notorious flop. Um, it was a success in so, our hearts. Uh, but yeah, the director it went on flopped
3: its way right in there. <laughs> the director
1: went on to do you know some other projects, but those are probably the most notable. Although he did co-write Red Dawn with John Milius, who uh, directed that, and then this was written by William Mastrosomi. So, Mastrosimoni, I don't know how you pronounce his name, but it's uh, something long with a lot of syllables and. Uh, vowel sounds in there, and it is from his play Nanawate, and then they, you know, changed the title over for the film. So we will dig into the plot and everything that's going on here, but first let me introduce our cast of characters here on our panel. We have returning from many of our previous podcasts, Jimmy. Hey, everyone. (laughs) We have Devin coming back, and Devin, uh, I think the last thing you were on was Robot Jocks
3: yeah so this was uh pretty in line with that i feel like i had a good frame of what we were getting into when i started yeah. this film
0: i saw a lot of similar connections devin
1: specializes well. in movies about russian
3: war heroes so russian war heroes and giant hunks of weaponized metal oh, i thought you were going to end that
1: with giant <laughs> hunks and i was curious of like
3: where you landed on this film i mean stephen baldwin <laughs>
1: And we have uh, Doug returning for us, and Doug, you were last on
2: Hell Comes to Frogtown. Yeah, Frogtown, and and now uh, The Beast, The Beast of War, and uh, can't wait to do Waterworld next.
1: (laughs) Uh, You know, we'll do Waterworld at some point. Um, Next, by next, you mean like next week? Like, because you're good, right? If you do Waterworld, you can
2: call me tomorrow. I'm ready. (laughs) I did my dissertation on Waterworld. Okay. Because he
0: wouldn't have to watch it again. He's seen it that many times.
3: (laughs) He's saving it for episode 300, Doug. Okay,
1: good. All right. So, uh, yeah, we can launch here into the Beast. The kind of basic idea of this, and Doug is our resident historian, so he will do better with explaining some of the intricacies of the uh, era it's set in and the particulars of the, the war but it's focused on the, it's like the Soviet invasion of uh, Afghanistan, or is it a specific region of Afghanistan? Afghanistan? Okay. Like, yeah. So it's a Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, and we are following a group from a Soviet tank, and it opens with them attacking uh, an Afghan village, and then we meet certain Afghan characters, and we're kind of back and forth between the two groups as the movie goes on. And there's a lot of, like, dark stuff that happens. It's not a movie where there's, like, a clear, they're the good guys and they're the bad guys. I mean, we'll get into some of the kind of, like, ways stuff is presented, and and I think there are some issues that hurt the film, not that you want it to be... Cowboys and Indians and like totally streamlined and, and nothing. But I think there are some, some issues in regards to that, but yeah, it's, essentially we are looking at the Russians for bulk of the film. And then at points, we will, um, zip over to the Afghans and follow what they're going, going through. And essentially the Russians are attempting to, I think they're just leaving the initial, um, you know, attack. And I think they essentially get lost. I don't think they're on their way anywhere. They're potentially going back to their base. But they, they ultimately find out that they're kind of like stranded while the Afghans are coming after them. And so what you have is sort of like this cat and mouse for the majority of the film. Where the guys are in the tank and they're going out into the desert. And the tank itself can, you know, destroy stuff and serve as sort of a bunker. But you have the Afghans that are after them. With, you know, they're carrying different weapons and everything and they're showing up, uh, you know, like shortcuts and things. So basically the Russians are trying to flee to get to safety and ultimately, you know, I mean, we're going to get into spoilers anyway. Somewhere near the end, they find out, oh, well, you've been going into a cul-de-sac the whole time. So their entire journey has not been worth anything. So that creates an issue That, uh, you know, kind of propels the plot somewhat as you go into like the final act. But yeah, so it it plays out sort of like that. It's just kind of like a tense, ongoing battle between these two factions after the initial opening battle. And so that's the rest of like the hour and a half of the movie. And the central character is Jason Patrick and he plays uh, Constantine and there is a... Like tank commander, commander Tank Boy Daskell. Tank Boy was a name he was given in his youth. And that's George DeZunza, who is a character actor. He's been in a number of things. Stephen Bauer, is, who is the guy from um, Breaking Bad. Scarface. He's Scarface. And he's also Breaking Bad um, more recently. He's uh, like. I can't remember Don Elio or some the 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 kind of like main drug lord in Breaking Bad that Gus Fring has a vendetta against. Um, so he shows up in Breaking Bad and in Better Call Saul. And so he's Contage. So he's the leader of the Afghans following his his father and brother's deaths. So he is given like the the kind of status as leader. And Stephen Baldwin also shows up in a smaller role. And Donald Patrick Harvey shows up in a smaller role. They're both supporting roles in the tanks. And they are... uh, They're like... I mean, Stephen Baldwin, you've probably seen in stuff. um, Usual suspects. Donald Patrick Harvey. I don't know if anyone would know him by name, but you see him. It's like, oh, yeah, I've seen this guy and stuff. And I looked him up and he's, you know, he's been a character actor in different things. And that's kind of it. There's a... There is one other member, uh, Kabir Badai as Akbar, I think, or is it, or is it Samad? Which one's the...
0: Samad's the helper. Okay, Samad. Okay, so I think Akbar, I think that's... I recognized him from the uh, the film favorite, Mr. Deeds. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, so
1: Eric, his name's Eric avari um and he's samad and he's a character actor that has popped up in different things i most recently saw him in one of the terrible home alone
2: sequels but uh yeah mr d he's in the mummy too okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah
1: so uh so that guy shows up so it's like a lot of character actors jason patrick is your biggest star i mean this is uh you know he was kind of emerging to some degree into the 90s he never got huge But he was like he's effectively the lead as far as the plot goes. And then he's like the biggest person. So if that tells you the level of star power we're working with here, it's uh, it's not a lot. And I'll kick it to our crew here. Only other thing I'll add is that the movie cost eight million and it made one hundred and sixty one thousand dollars. So not great. Um, so this is not a very well-known movie. It did not succeed by any means, but since its time, uh, it has been, I think, reevaluated. I think it has been positively reviewed and it has like a cult following, which I think we'll probably all agree that it's like likely deserved that this is not a movie that deserved to make $161,000. Like it at least deserved to make a profit based on the merits of what we see, I think. All right, but I will open the floor. What do we make of the beast or the beast of war?
0: Yeah, I think uh, I'll jump in, and um, I agree. I thought the movie was was really well made. Um, I, something I had never once heard of until you uh, pegged us to be on this podcast.
1: Yeah, same. Yeah, I never had. And, uh,
0: yeah, when I saw the cast, I was like, "Yeah, it might explain why." Since it's a, I mean, it's literally a bunch of vet guys, like. I was like, "Oh, that guy," and you know, knew him from this movie, or "Oh, that guy." I couldn't have named any of their actual names um, in real life, so except for Stephen Baldwin, of course, because you know, (laughs) biodome. But yeah, no, I thought the movie itself was uh, really well made and had a lot of good attention to detail.
2: Yeah, I'm a big fan as well. I I thought it was uh, it was certainly dark, and uh, you know, I. Maybe more of a drama than, than, a, than a war film, um, but I think that that made it better, and uh, it tackles some serious uh, political and historical issues involving Soviet Union during a time period that the Cold War was kind of drawing to a close. Um, and interesting, interesting concepts and ideas, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the historical place of it in a little bit, but yeah, I was a big fan. Uh, and, I, and I liked it a lot from the cinematography, and the acting was solid. It wasn't impressive, but it was it was good, I thought. And uh, just all around. Um, maybe it's it's a little too dark for your average viewer, but I liked it. Yeah. I think
3: right off the bat, the uh, like going into this, having read the brief synopsis that I did, um, giving some context for the story of where it was going, at least I thought somehow and again i don't know what i was expecting i was surprised when the the guys who were shelling the town with a tank and murdering civilians were going to be forefront in the movie as some sort of protagonist but yeah maybe, maybe actors. We'll, yeah maybe we'll get into this i'm sure that they uh, oh, yeah. there kind of weren't protagonists in some ways and that i think in combination with the the focal point of the movie being around these two groups that Least in American cinema, you don't see much as protagonists, right? Um, was interesting for me.
1: I would say we have a protagonist, but yeah, I don't think we have heroes. Yeah, that's And fair I think proof. that's one of the like problems of the film. Like I said at the beginning, uh, you know, you don't necessarily want it to be reducted and be like cowboys and Indians kind of thing, but I, I, I do think. To some degree, it holds it back. Uh, yeah, we can get in all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, where I fell on it, like I, like I said, like you, I'm coming to this totally cold, was just recommended to us. I enjoyed it. I thought it was well shot and it was like surprisingly well acted for the cobbled together character actors that they have in there. I mean, like not that any of those guys are like particularly bad, but they also aren't guys that you think like, oh, I always love them like they're always amazing it's like like one of the like tanker dudes who's not the main like villain like so the the main villain tanker dude essentially the guy who's in charge the commander like he does a really solid performance but he's also a guy who's been kind of like second or third villain of other movies and so I would have never thought oh that guy's going to be good it's like oh that guy and it's like oh wow he actually was good in this and then there's this other younger guy the guy, uh, Donald Patrick Harvey who I've seen and stuff would have never impressed me with anything here. He worked very well as this like kind of slimy sleazy guy. And then as the story goes on, he kind of realizes like, Oh wait, some of this is actually pretty fucked up. And he's like, kind of, he's like doing a good job acting. And so it, there's a very kind of like gritty grassroots vibe to this that they got this this crew of actors together and were able to tell a story and, and some of that's probably the strength of the writing that they're giving them. Um, that helps, I'm sure. But yeah, so ultimately like I enjoyed the movie. I'm not a huge like war film fan. I, you know, I'll watch some stuff. I own a handful of things. So this ultimately is not something I would own, but uh, I do think it's good. I think it's well-made and I think it has some interesting stuff to dig into. So what aspect do we want to look at first?
3: I think you made a good uh, segue into what I think merits a good bit of discussion about this is the acting looking at some of the, the principal actors in this, their acting credits. This appears to be Stephen Baldwin's first named character in an acting role, which I think is pretty neat. um, yeah, the the group that they got together—Stephen Bauer, Stephen Baldwin, uh, Don Harvey—like um, everyone in the movie. It seems like they caught them at the right part of their career. That everyone was taking this very seriously, and it yeah. felt like like you could see how hard they were they were going in on it. I think
2: and also like a testament to the casting too like that these guys will all work in these roles and like you said timing it was right in their careers and even to some of the stuff that you were saying Linton, like yeah the the acting was really solid and like it fits it fits the characters really well and so part of that i think is done in the casting room so whoever casted it nice
3: they did have some source material to go on in terms of the characters and things like that, so I think that may have contributed. The one thing that I'll say about the casting, and maybe this was just the direction that the actors kind of went, or the direction but uh, I thought uh, Stephen Baldwin's character and Don Harvey's character uh, blurred a little bit in my head as I was watching yeah. it. Uh, yeah. They their energy was similar.
1: Yeah, they look at that. Yeah, one of them has played much more negative than the other but they look a good deal like and they're dressed very similar so sure. you know if you had like i mean it would have helped if like oh he has his head shaved or we cast a redhead or you know something where you can get some kind of visual yeah
3: identifier. it almost it almost felt like one of them was passed over for the other role <laughs> and they got this this other role instead so like they were both going for the same thing maybe i don't know
0: yeah, actually, uh, so I did a little bit of research myself. Hey, <laughs> um, but with the uh, with the timing of this, I thought it was interesting because if you look at the uh, the credits, there is a guy that they used as a technical resource, Dale Die. Mm-hmm. Have you guys heard that name before? No, no. So Dale Die is like the war aficionado for movies, mm. and he got his like the way he became like that guy is he was the the war uh, liaison for platoon and platoon oh, wow. came out 2 years prior to this movie okay and i don't know if maybe it was one of those instances where it's like hey we're getting dale die from platoon platoon blew up it's got kind of a similar feel uh, you know obviously different setting but that very like gritty you know we're not pulling any punches war kind of film with a like a war expert and it, it, to your point it's like you got these young cast and they're all going for it and maybe they had in the back of their heads that they're like hey maybe this can be the next platoon you know and really blow up our careers but then it made one hundred sixty-one thousand yeah
1: yeah and they would have had some good like evidence to look at i mean there's tons of war movies in the 70s and 80s especially following Vietnam, but, but they would have had some things as the cast would have had some things to look at and think this could blow up as you're saying, because you not only have platoon, which was so recent, but, um, full metal jacket, I think was the year prior to this being released. Um, and so I don't know if they would have been aware of that, but they, I'm sure would have been aware that Stanley Kubrick was making a Vietnam movie and they were, he was casting all kinds of young people. So they were probably trying to get in that anyway. And then you had apocalypse now in 79 which was like a huge cultural phenomenon. So yeah, I I could see that being very tempting for a lot of the people being in it. And then it's based on a play and the the actual writing of it is very strong. I think there are some weird parts and some things that maybe work better on the stage than work on screen. And we can talk about that, but yeah, I I think there's definitely things that, that, that would have made sense of why they would have been drawn to these roles and to this project.
2: Although, you know, why though this conflict? I mean, that to me, like if you're if you are you know, running on the heels of some of these famous films, and you're thinking, okay, I want to do something similar, why would you find this play about a uh, the Afghan Soviet war in the in the early '80s? Like, because like, and maybe this transitions to what we're going to talk about next. But like, I feel like. That's not the one that you want to pick that will resonate with American oh, yeah. audiences. Yeah, that's a that's a big. Well, issue. I wonder.
0: <laughs> I wonder if you know. Think about it. Then the films that you named: Linton, Full Metal Jacket, Platoon, and Apocalypse Now are all Vietnam films. Yeah. So you, you're gonna do another Vietnam film, and maybe that was their thought of, "Hey, let's do something a little different," you know, and and see see if it works. But
3: not too um, different, because some of the tone elements I think are. Yeah, Maybe overlapping sure. between those with the moral gray and all that.
1: Well, and I wonder too if uh so one of the more distracting elements for me, if if you haven't seen this film, as virtually no one on the planet has, um, <laughs> is that all of the Russian characters, so they're all given Russian names. I mean, Konstantin Koverchenko and Antol uh, uh, uh Tony Golikov? Uh that's something Golikov, else. Anna Ana, Anato- <laughs> Anatoly Anatoly Golikov, and then the commander's name is Daskal Kaminsky Kovalov. So, like, they're out, they're clearly you know Russian characters. There's none of this like, oh, well, we have we've transferred in someone from you know the the UN or whatever. Like everybody's Russian in this. No one has a Russian accent at all. Yeah. And I know like entering into any kind of movie where you are with so let's say it's an american film and it's in in, in english like so you're entering in and you're going to show people in france so you're going to show people in germany you know world war ii movies or whatever in world war ii movies where the germans all speak english with a nazi you know with a with a german accent or whatever like obviously they did not do that regularly they might have spoken english if they had to in some sp- right, right, particular right. circumstance but in most cases they're not going to I think as an audience, we're just used to it. And we're also like, okay, well we kind of buy into that. It's easier for the language barrier. if Everybody speaks the same language. And that if we were watching a movie from Germany, we would probably expect the same thing. Although a lot of foreign language movies probably um, will actually do the real languages. But, um, but I think we accept that. But I think part of that kind of facade is, Oh, but you still give them the accents because then it, It helps differentiate and like get you in the mindset of like when you hear Germans in World War Two movies, it's like, oh, okay, well, they're Germans and they're Nazis. And then these guys are speaking in American accents or these people are speaking in British accents. But everyone in this, all the Russian characters, everyone. And so it's not just like, oh, this guy can't do a good accent. It's like nobody's even attempting it, which I thought was distracting and I didn't know what the plot was. So going in, I was like, wait, what is happening?
2: (laughs) Who are are these guys for, for a minute? You know, I was like, yeah,
1: I didn't, I didn't know what the conflict was that the movie focused on. I didn't really read up on it uh, or I had, you know, a couple months ago, but I didn't think about it when I started it. So I just assumed we're looking at an American occupation somewhere and then they start using Russian names. And I was like, well, wait a second. And then somewhere I started kind of like piece together, so I think it's distracting on that end. But going back to your point, Jimmy, of like the Vietnam thing, I don't know if this is giving the movie too much credit or if they are intentionally doing this to make you think of the Soviets as Americans. Like if this is supposed to be not really about Afghanistan, but it's like Vietnam. Like if they're trying to make that parallel of American, not, not American, but like a, a group of soldiers in a foreign country and they don't speak the language and they're battling the native peoples and they're engaging in very morally gray or outright immoral actions. I wonder if it's like trying to be a Vietnam movie without being a Vietnam movie.
2: Yeah. And to your, well, to the, to that point, this war has been referred to as the Soviet unions, Vietnam, like a yeah. conflict that the Soviet union gets sucked into They get handed to them basically by Great Britain, similar to the way that the Vietnam War was handed to the United States by France. And, you know, a a group of people that are really, really in difficult terrain and it's difficult to beat them and it's a guerrilla tactics style war. And they think it's going to be quick in and out and then they get stuck in there for multiple years. So the connections are there for sure.
0: Yeah, I I think we'd have to... Shocker! There's not a whole lot of background on this movie yeah. and what their decisions were made. So it's like, do we give it a lot of credit to your point, Linton, and say, hey, they're trying to make it a point of give these people American accents because then, I mean, talk about morally ambiguous. You have a bunch of people that are supposedly Russians, but we see them in our eyes as the viewer as American because they're speaking like perfect English. You know, no accents at all. Not a, you know, there's no subtitles in Russian. And then we have the other side of it, where it's, I guess, technically the more moral characters are the, like the Afghan rebels. Yeah. Yeah. But because they're speaking in their native tongue the entire time, like you as a viewer aren't going to relate to them yeah. as right. easily yeah. as right. that's
2: the problem. These Soviets. The fact that they do one and not the other. Like if you take a, here, here's an, here's an example, a movie like Enemy at the Gates, which I think is a really great film. And it's about World War II, and you have the Russians and, and the Germans. And no one's using any accents. The Russians don't use the accents, the Germans don't use the accents. They're talking in their normal whatever. Like Ed Harris is talking with an American accent, and Jude Law uh, is talking in a, in a British accent. Uh, or whatever, and so like they just don't do it, and I think that that's what's happening here. Like I don't, I don't think I would give it credit where it's like trying to do anything beyond that, just saying, hey, you guys can't do Russian accents probably because you're not very good actors or whatever. <laughs> it's like knowing so where just to draw the line, yeah, yeah, like do your regular, do your regular voices. But then the problem that they run into, like you said, Jimmy, is that the other guys, um, the Af- the Afghani's, they're using their language and it's not just an accent they to subtitle it and the whole thing so i think they need to like choose a lane right or choose a route like do all english like enemy at the gates did i'm gonna or disagree accent <laughs> them all or something
3: yeah i see where you guys are coming from i am in a different camp i wasn't super distracted by it um i kind of took a face value from the start of the film and i don't know that i would put it past them to have done this accents versus no accents, language versus just regular spoken English American accents and things like that. Uh, and the reason I think that that is entirely possible is that the the man William Metrosimone <laughs> or uh, a gentleman from Trenton, New Jersey, I see, is the person who wrote the play, and he also wrote the screenplay, so maybe that's just a decision he made artistically to try to get the audience to put themselves in the shoes of these uh, Russian characters where, you know, maybe it's not so different from something that an American would see.
1: And it, and it does seem like the kind of device you would see in a play. Like I've, I think there are plays where they will stipulate in the beginning, like, like, I mean, I don't know that that's the case for this particular play, but they would say stuff like, all the actors will speak in American accents. Like the author will make those kind of statements or all the actors are to be played by women, regardless of role or whatever. There'll be those, those kind of like things that the writer wants for a given effect. So I could see that. I, I do think though, it creates a problem. Not There's the confusion, but eventually the confusion goes away and it's like, okay, they're, they're Russian because like there's enough statements made and like, you know, you, you understand at a certain point. Yeah, my bigger issue with it is kind of what Doug was saying, though, is you give the main grouping no accents. This is an American film, essentially for an American audience, no accents. They're Russians um, and they're speaking in American English. So, you know, no foreign language at all. The Afghans are presented, like Doug is saying, in their native language. I read that I guess some of the women are speaking in a completely different dialect that was like totally in, inappropriate or incorrect for the area or something. But, um, but so you give them subtitled language. I think that's problematic for what I think the movie's trying to accomplish, which is to showcase the complexities of warfare in general and this particular war. And it, as as I think Devin you Devin or Jimmy said, the Afghans tend to be probably the more moral grouping. Uh, uh, if if we had to like break it down, the Russians from the beginning essentially just slaughter a village. Like like Jimmy you'd mentioned like they just open with just slaughtering a village and then we're like, oh these are our heroes and it's not even really that there are heroes and they aren't but that they are who we follow for most of the movie. It's not totally balanced. Like there's not an equal amount of time given to both. I would say the Russians have more screen time. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, and then, and then we're following the Afghans concurrent with that. But I think because of that language barrier, there's always this distance is you like you as a viewer aren't necessarily thinking, Oh, well, the Afghans are the bad guys. But plenty of movies will do that where the people who speak in a different language, you're just kind of trained of like, oh, okay, they're the ones who aren't like, you know, they're they're different and they're speaking a different language. Um, I think the movie is not attempting to make that leap or make that inference. But I think there is still a gulf where it's harder for you, the viewer, to be with them. And if they... If they had done it where, yeah, everyone's speaking the same language, then I think the playing field would be a little more even. But it creates this disconnect, I think, and then we're following the Russians, and much of the Russians' actions are horrific. And so I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it just creates kind of a problem. I, I, I said earlier, like that I do think there's a protagonist, and I think it's Constantine, and the idea is that he's kind of caught in this like moral conundrum of being in this tanker with this kind of madman commander. And then they end up essentially trying to kill him. And he ends up going over to the Afghans to help them. So there's this like central conflict with his character. But yeah, I don't know. I I don't know how it, it, it was a struggle for me because of the distance they kept the Afghans at. And then the closeness they had the Russians to us. And maybe that's intentional. Maybe it's the playwright trying to, you know, make us examine. But but again, they're not Americans and this is for an American audience. So even at the end of the day, you could just be like, oh, yeah, those Russians are bastards. Right. Like, so there's still this distance. And it also makes me wonder how they handled us on the stage. Did the Afghans all speak? in their native language and there were like cue cards that were held up. I mean, they would have had to have spoken in English or are they just not a big part of the plot in the play? I don't think that
2: they would have to be or something like, or at least, or at least speaking English, like from a theater perspective, it's almost impossible to like, to do it when the, where they're speaking a different language or maybe they're not speaking. I mean, maybe it's a silent.
3: Yeah. I could see them peppering in some, uh, language differences but primarily if they are even shown on stage at all uh primarily speaking english and then every once in a while some idiom or something in their native language
1: i guess they could have been presented since it's like guerrilla warfare they could have been presented as just kind of they come in and fight the tank at certain points and then leave and then maybe once constantine yeah. joins up with the con then they talk back and forth and like because in the movie they don't understand each other's languages, right. but they kind of like hash it out a little bit. So maybe the, I could see that ha- working on the stage where you as a viewer are watching Constantine kind of like, Oh no, the, the gun's kaput. It won't work. And they're like making that work. So maybe only the con is given like real stage presence or something. I in the
3: play. I I, I'll bet that uh, uh, Taj's cousin Mustafa and his cohort i'd be willing to bet weren't even in the stage play and were added in yeah. to kind of further solidify the moral grounding of the the rebel characters i guess
1: but yeah did anyone have any uh, else have trouble with that kind of that we're we're that close as i kind of put it at the end that we're that close to the russians and that kind of
2: distant from the afghans or do we think it works for what it's doing i think it works at the beginning because at the beginning of the film they're giving them more equal screen time like you know you have this conflict with uh the 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 would-be khan taj who's trying to like you know rally his troops together and then the slaughter of the village and then you have this really appeal to the emotion with, like, you know, the injured and the corpses and the, the abandoned baby, and then it follows them and then it talks with the women. But then as the, as the movie goes on, those characters yield most of the screen time to the Soviet characters. And so yeah. it plays better at the beginning and then kind of slowly loses some of that.
0: I'm kind of torn because I I agree. Like at the beginning of the movie, I was absolutely thrown off. I I think we all were with, you know, who we're supposed to be siding with. But I think I wouldn't denigrate the choice of having the Russian characters speak in English. Um, I think if that's what they were going for, it definitely makes the movie more morally ambiguous. And you know, you're not going to easily side with the Afghans as opposed to, it's kind of just showing, Hey, both sides not making, you know, like no, no one's going to win this battle. You know, war, like everyone loses. Um, and if, you know, the shoe was on the other foot and this movie was made by Francis Ford Coppola, I'm sure people would have been like eaten out of a shoe and like, Oh my God, can you believe this guy is a genius? He did. He, he had <laughs> them speak in English. But because he was made by Kevin Waterworld Reynolds, yeah, no one really gives it a second
2: thought. No, don't talk
0: badly about Waterworld. <laughs> Brief
3: aside, since I mentioned I gave cousin, it his nickname
0: uh, as Waterworld, so I'm not since, talking bad.
3: <laughs> since I mentioned Cousin Mustafa, I just happened to look at his uh, IMDb page. Uh, his, his name is Haim Jarafi, because one, I was immediately taken with this actor. He, he, I thought he did a great job. It was like effortless. Uh, and he's just kind of a B kind of C character even. Uh, but I happen to see that he was also in Waterworld.
2: <laughs> Let's go. Nice. <laughs> As
3: um, Drifter.
2: So I want to go back to some of the, things that you were saying, Lytton and I kind of want to draw historical connections here, and maybe I'll just give you guys a Yeah, no, the the history of
1: it would be useful, because I think we're all probably, other than you, we're probably in kind of a yeah, that stuff.
2: Yeah, I'll give you, I'll I'll be brief, um, but I have a point that I want to make after the history. Um, So, Doug, put away your whiteboard. You said you were going to be brief. Oh, man, I thought you were (laughs) going to give me like 20 minutes here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Afghanistan has always been kind of embroiled in a conflict between world superpowers, and and that was the case even in the early 1800s, as they were kind of torn between Great Britain and Russia. So Russia's had a foot in Afghanistan for hundreds of years, and and Great Britain and Russia used Afghanistan as a place to fight each other uh, on three separate occasions. Um, and then, uh... As Great Britain kind of is asserting its dominance over India, they're trying to move that sphere of dominance more north into Afghanistan. Um, and Russia kind of pushes back, also trying to do the same thing. And so after um, that conflict kind of ends and uh, you know, India gets its independence in and post World War II world, um, now you have Afghanistan trying to um, get its independence as well. And as the Soviet sphere expands, the Russians are trying to get back into Afghanistan. Um, And so the United States, it being the Cold War, this is like 1979, 1980, um, the United States starts supplying um, Afghani rebels uh, with weapons and guns and all sorts of things, uh, trying to counter the Soviet influence in this war. Um, And so the Soviets thought this would be a short war, in and out type deal, and it ends up being like a nine-year conflict that basically the Soviet Union... Loses, and the Soviet Union doesn't really lose wars, right? It's like the United States of America doesn't really lose. And well, except you know the the Cold War, I guess. I mean, we
1: didn't win Vietnam.
2: Well, that's what I mean. The parallel. The parallel is exactly there, exactly right. So the United States of America doesn't win. Doesn't, the United States of America doesn't lose wars and yet yeah. they lose Vietnam. The Soviet Union doesn't lose wars and yet they lose the Afghan War. Um, and so, you know, that sucks for them, but I guess it's good for the United States. And then afterward, this group of people, what they call in the film um, the Mujahideen, which is what they're called, kind of seize control and, and, uh, and over time they become um, a precursor to the Taliban. Which is then in Afghanistan still today and taking control. And so when the United States enters Afghanistan, they're being killed by Afghani guerrillas with American weapons that were supplied by the United States of America in this war, which is so, so American, right? (laughs) (laughs) Such an American. Same thing in Guatemala, Nicaragua. Same deal. Tail as Um, old as (laughs) that. Right. So, um, that's the deal, and so my point is, if this film was made in what eighty eight, is that what we're looking it came at? Came out in eighty eight, so it would like have that? been made like eighty seven or something. The play would have been probably a couple of years
1: before that. And you said this was based on early eighties, so that'd be kind of our timeline okay.
3: that we're dealing with.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it'd be relatively recent. It'd be like if they made a film today about a conflict that happened in two thousand thirteen or fourteen or something like this. Uh, which is interesting. And so this is before a time when people in the United States of America would have really viewed um, people in Afghanistan in a negative light. Right. So when they're making this film, these are freedom fighters fighting against a Soviet oppressor. I mean, we're right in the middle of the Cold War type situation. And so I think that that we have to understand that backdrop of – these guys are trying to be portrayed as the ones that are having their country taken over by the evil soviets and the soviet union's just bad and expanding their empire and these guys are just fighting for their i mean what there was no the movie's given us no indication that we should dislike any of the uh like from the very beginning they're showing us them being killed they they want to get revenge and so yes they're hunting the tank and yes but uh, trying to kill it, um, but they are I think the movie portrays from the very beginning and in a political context they're the good guys and the Soviet Union, is more of like the oh they're supposed to be the bad guys and I think as the film goes on, Constantine realizes that, and it kind of falls into the into order in a little bit more of a clear way gradually.
3: Yeah, because up until that kind of turn with. Constantine it makes it all the more interesting that we're focusing so much on these American accented Russians in the context of what you just shared Doug
2: yeah
0: yeah, it definitely adds a different context watching it in today's world knowing where things kind of ended up with Afghanistan and you know just in someone's mind who doesn't know the history they're like we were watching the the Russians fight the Afghanistanis like that. Of course, you're not going to pick a a side because you know, nowadays it's like both sides not really ever seen in the best light in any other movie that is portraying these two, uh, these two sides.
2: And, and perfect because I mean, that's, you're exactly right. Because if you're looking at a lot of films from the late eighties, early nineties, and even today, the Russians are the bad guys, but now Mm -hmm. there's a lot of film where like, Oh, these people are, from the middle east they're of some sort of arabic descent Mm -hmm. oh they're the bad guys it doesn't matter if they're from turkey or egypt or afghanistan you know it's that's the that's the you know so the film is giving us these these two but that's only with our modern eyes i think at the time you have to understand more that these oh the people of afghanistan are not viewed as the bad guys i think there were
1: plenty of Movies, though, going back to the 90s and probably the 80s, that still had Middle Eastern people being villainous, murderous, shady, etc. Um, I mean, true lies comes to mind, and that's the 90s. I'm sure there were some like some of the Schwarzenegger Stallone movies of the 80s. There has to be something where they're battling.
0: Oh, actually, since you bring that up. Um, I don't know if you guys have watched Rambo 3 anytime in the I have last, you know, ages ago. Oh, Rambo years.
3: 3 full circle, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, but I mean it actually I, I was looking it up cuz I'm like this is based it it takes place during the Soviet Afghan conflict and it comes out the same year as this movie. And of course, it's a Rambo movie, so it's a hit. And it's a similar deal where it's Rambo helping the Mujahideen fight off the evil you know david and goliath like soviet yeah. union except it's even more on the side of the afghanistanis yeah because so,
3: rambo's there
2: because he's got there. their yeah. backs
0: yeah
3: that's the um, one where he unloads on that computer equipment with that rail gun right
0: no no that, that was uh, that was rambo 2 okay no. <laughs> is There's rambo 3 he's...
3: the one where frank stallone does the credits music or is that rambo 2
0: that could be both i don't know <laughs>
3: it's it and this is a Huge <laughs> tangent, but uh, if you have a chance to watch whichever one of the Rambo movies Thanks. that is, it's worth it for the juxtaposition of what you just saw with what you're <laughs> hearing over
2: the credits. Frank's
1: Welcome going. back to Ramcast, your podcast <laughs> for all Rambo-focused news
2: <laughs> all the time. Well, and to the Rambo point, like there's something to be <laughs> said. there's something to be said not connected to Rambo, but like people. Uh, Hollywood likes films from wars that are like concluded but relatively recent. So in the in you have a lot of Vietnam films in the in the early 80s or or whatever after the wars kind of wrapped up. This war um, was not really over by like 1988, but basically like the main conflict of this war was 81, 82, 83. So that's been what five, six years or whatever since the since the conflict ended, and so even today, like you got a couple of years ago, you had that, yeah, uh, you know, Benghazi war. Like next year, it'll be the Syrian war, and you know, three or four years, they'll start making films about the civil war in Yemen, civil war in Libya, and so I think that there's a there's a trend there.
1: Yeah, and this would be like comparable, I think, to because you're talking about earlier of when it came out in relation to the. Uh, where everything was at in terms yeah. of that war. And it made me think of like Jarhead because Jarhead came out pretty much... That's that's set in Afghanistan or Iraq? It's been ages since I saw it. Yeah, I don't know.
3: Iraq, Iraq maybe.
1: Okay, but so that was set like pretty... Very much in the thick of it, very early. It was like like late 2000s, 2000, 2007 or eight or something. Mm-hmm. So that's still like within... <laughs> the first few years of that war. And then the Hurt Locker is another one. Um, And obviously, you know, the conflict was ongoing well past that as well. So yeah, I mean, there is, there's something that's harder to, I would say approach from the point of view of, it's not a war that's all over and done with. And we've washed our hands of that. And we now have some perspective over it. It's like, yeah, when you're still in the thick of it, you still don't necessarily know like what this thing is yet or how we're going to look at it or how history is going to look at it. And I had somebody in the comments document made the note, I think it was you Devin of like, that this is like um, a movie where there's Russian and Afghan protagonists in the 1980s. So it's sort of like for an American audience, even if you're regardless of wherever you fall on it, of like who you're going to think this side or this side's right or whatever you already have a an issue of like our American audience is even going to care and that might sound shitty but that's shitty toward no, a, that's right. shitty toward Americans <laughs> to be clear like it's you know like are Americans going to be like yeah I gotta watch this thing um, yeah I mean to a certain degree like there's that disconnect of you know regardless of whatever the conflict was or whatever country you're always gonna have a disconnect of like this is about another part of the world and maybe I don't know a whole lot about it so i'm going to be kind of lost but yeah americans are also kind of notorious for being cut off from much of the world so i don't know and and that kind of leads into why didn't why do we think this didn't succeed is it purely that is it purely i think that
3: must be a big part of it and in regards to it being sort of i would argue a little courageous in its subject matter at the time that it was uh, produced and released and written i think owes if i had to guess a good bit of that credit to having come from a stage play because i think i could see someone writing a stage play doing so as a means to bring attention to an ongoing conflict whereas i think if you were to market a blockbuster film about an ongoing conflict, it comes across as a little, uh, I don't know what the word is, a little uh, vulture-y.
1: Kind of like... uh, We're just
3: making money on it, you know what I mean?
1: I'm not saying he was doing this, but that kind of makes me think of like that Rosewater movie, uh, the Jon Stewart thing that came out some years ago and it Mm -hmm. was about uh, conflict. I can't remember what country, but it was focused on like a journalist and Stewart was very sincere about it. It was like a journalist who was imprisoned and things. And the movie itself wasn't terrific, but yeah, I, I could see that in a similar kind of way of like, you're building a narrative around this thing that's recently happened or, or even you go back to like, I remember when, uh, United 93 came out and a lot of people were mm-hmm. very bothered that that was coming out within like three or four years of. There's
3: another one, uh, Nick Cage and Michael Pena and uh, world trade center yes. is about the same time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I never saw. I never saw either. But I would imagine the United ninety three was probably better and handled better than the Nick Cage nine yeah. eleven movie. Yeah, it was. It was better.
0: So I have a question for you guys. So one thing I I wondered about this movie. It goes really hard in the violence, and I and I don't know if it's necessary. Like, especially because we already kind of have this ambiguous like, um setup of like who the protagonist is so do you guys was this violence just in there because it was like let's make this thing theatrical because i can't imagine in a stage play they're like let's start this movie off by us running over a guy with a tank but in in the movie it's i mean that those first eight minutes i was watching this and like yeah what am i in
2: for yeah it was uh they backed off a bit of the gore uh, from they, yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, the first. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It started
1: opening. Yeah. It's like just a full on assault on this village. And it's, it's a lot of like pyrotechnics and stuff. You get a few people that you like visibly see get killed, but it's not super graphic, but yeah, then they capture a guy who had attacked their tank. And I think he killed, or were there two tanks initially? And one of them's destroyed. there was was. yeah so he so there's another tank and he like ends up throwing like a grenade into it and killing that team or something uh some other explosive basically they capture this guy and they are going to like show everyone you know like basically make an example of him and they get him to get underneath the treads of the tank and his feet are pointed up and he like willingly up. does it because it's kind of explained later of that. He believes he's going to go to paradise uh, because, because initially he like, they like say, get under there and he like crawls under real quick. And I was like, Whoa, that's way faster than I'd be doing yeah. that. Um, but he gets under there and his feet are pointed up toward the treads. And uh, Constantine is running the tank at the time. He's ordered by his commander to go forward. And he's very reluctant because it's like, this is a war crime and it's horrible. And the first of many, Yes. And well, I think the first was probably just flat out, you know, massacring that village. Uh, Um, But, um, but yeah, so then he eventually moves forward and we see in a, like as graphic as they could pull off um, the guy's feet start to get crushed and they did some kind of fake feet. And they like start to bloody and kind of crack or I don't know I mean it's only like a few seconds but it's enough.
2: It's enough, yeah, it's enough. And then they show his like run over corpse like three minutes <laughs> later, just a big pile of. We um, can't even see like what it like what parts what and they show that and then they show a hand fall out of the tread yeah. Ted, tread like a couple minutes after so yeah they're 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 putting their cards on the table.
0: Yeah, that was the worst thing, is when, like, uh, what is it, uh, Taj shows up afterwards to see what happens to the village. And he sees, like, a bunch of the women in the village, like, totally just blank-faced. And he's like, where's my uncle? And it's like, I forget what she says, like, he he sacrificed himself to a tank, and then you, like, cut to, run, like, tank treads with, like, yeah. basically hamburger meat. On, on yeah, that's you're Like, was, Oh, really? my gosh.
3: I don't know if I... <laughs> Blocked that out from my memory, but I don't remember seeing as much as you guys are talking about. I
1: don't remember. I don't remember the like seeing the aftermath, but I might have been making a note or something at the time. I, I definitely remember the feet moment. You were too busy yes. taking a bite In out the of the hand. burger
0: you were eating while watching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is some good stuff. Oh, this movie's good. Um, on the on the
1: note, Jimmy of uh, Jimmy, what you're talking about of like how the the violence and the cinematic quality that they added to it, which i i think they almost had to have and i think they did because and it's a good decision for the film because if you're taking something from a stage play to being a film you need to translate it for the medium so it's not just i i mean i'm assuming the stage play was a lot of like the dude sitting around in a tank for eight minute scenes and then cut Another scene of sitting around in the tank, and so like talking about know, Tank Boy, <laughs> yeah, and so like they're and they're they're good dialogue sequences and everything, and yeah. so like you can see those shine through. But yeah, they I'm sure the writer found ways to stuff that's probably more implied in the stage version, where there's probably like blasting sound effects and like guys with guns popping up out of the corners. Like I'm sure all that got elaborated on and then visually like i think it's all pulled off very well as a war movie but it did make me question of like in the stage version like, i just could not get this out of my head is it like are all the characters just like moving around a big cardboard tank like a like a like a little kids play the whole time they're I'm either doing that
3: imagine what it was they're either doing that or it's like the silhouette of a tank backlit through a scrim or (laughs) there's no tank at all and they're just running around like a black curtain stage
1: they're just like holding nothingness in the air and acting like it's like a periscope or guns or something
3: typically performed in a basement space the uh the
1: backlit thing makes sense
3: i could see that in a very artsy way
2: I could see them pulling that off. Doug, I think you had some stuff on uh, the presentation. So like, okay, we know that this is a uh, a war film. We know that as they're making it, it's rated R and it's made for like an adult audience and it's a serious uh, war drama. And so if we compare it to other films, you, you have a common theme of gratuitous violence. And so I don't feel like the violence is super out of place i don't feel like it's it's more than other films of its type what do you guys think Mm -hmm. about that
3: oh i totally agree and to be honest it feels more sincere and important and impactful maybe in this film than it would in i would argue most bigger budget and especially more recent war movies where it feels more because they could do more it feels more gratuitous to the point where like is this for the right reason anymore? Are you trying to show the horrors of war or are you trying to fill seats in it?
1: Oh yeah. And, and I think there's plenty of war movies that are all about the spectacle that, mm-hmm. that, I mean, even like some of the great war movies that are, that do critique war like full metal jacket and apocalypse now, Have him saving private Ryan. Yeah, saving private Ryan. Good great example. Have amazing spectacle of like what you're watching on screen is incredibly impressive and awe-inspiring. Even if you're like horrified to it by from it by a point, there's also this like, oh, it's so visceral, and you're right in there. And I've I've read, I can't remember who it was, if it was Coppola or someone else. And I don't know I don't know that I like totally buy it, but I think I think it's Coppola said that like there's no way to make a true anti-war film because just the nature of film you are wanting to make it look good and look interesting and look beautiful or you know you're trying to put arresting images yeah. on the screen so at the end of the day the audience is likely walking away with that was cool or, or i love that and i don't i mean not to disagree i don't i don't I don't know if I totally agree with that, because I think there are war films. And I think Apocalypse Now, like there are horrific moments and there's things in Saviour Prime Brian that like you aren't going to like walk away thinking wonderful. But to his greater point, he's possibly right that. Yeah, people walk away from these probably more like, oh, I liked it instead of yes, war is very fucked up and we should get out of that, which is kind yeah, of yeah. what the goal of some of these is supposed to be.
3: You got to walk out of a war movie feeling like you just saw Cormac McCarthy's The Road <laughs> yeah. or something yeah. in order for that, that to really stick.
2: Yeah, and I I, I agree. that. Well, and I think that maybe this movie does it a little bit better than some other films in the same vein of showing you, like, not the war that's cool, like real, like, gun fights, okay? So, like, if someone's trading gunfire in a close and then you have someone, like, sword slice someone's face off or something, like, none of that stuff's going on. But, so the violence that you get is violence on people that are either incapable of hurting you back or are incapacitated in some way or it feels like torture or something like that. And so I think when you do that, you're showing you're just trying to convey the horrors of war more so and and mm-hmm. you're missing some of that uh, oh war is cool and fun, which is good and we want to push that aside. But then, like you said, you you lose some seats in the theater by by making that decision.
3: Yeah. Was this released to theaters? I have to assume that it was, <laughs> right?
1: Um, well funny you ask uh, in terms of seats in the theater, which uh, you know, I made one hundred sixty one thousand dollars, so you know, it was probably like fifty thousand
0: people saw yeah, this sure. or something. Uh, uh, you know, whatever. Um, it uh... played great in Sheboygan. Sheboygan loved the beast of war. Yeah,
1: no, so the one the one note that I saw was, so apparently it was made when someone else was in control at Columbia. And when by the time it was released, that person was gone. Like they'd been fired, I think, or possibly left, you know, their role of being like essentially in charge of the studio or distribution or whatever. And so there was another person in and that person effectively buried the movie in very few theaters. And like and so that I mean, the, the movie is, I think, aiming for Oscar bait. I think, I mean, I, I don't think that's all it's trying to be, but I, I think that that's the kind of movie, like, had this been a hit, I could have seen this being something that was nominated for Oscars. Mm-hmm. I don't know this is anything that would have won Best Picture or anything like that, but the, the main Tank Commander, I could have seen, like, a Best Supporting yeah. Actor yeah. nomination, maybe win, Yeah, yeah. you know? Um, like, it's it's deserving of some recognition for sure, but yeah, it, it was effectively buried, and I, I've read that before of where, like, When studio heads swap out, a lot of the times the people who come in will cancel projects. I think there's kind of like two reasons for it. One, they don't want to be beholden to a project from someone who what they didn't decide. So it's like, oh, so and so made this decision. And so if it succeeds, they effectively get the credit. If it fails, I get the blame. So I think... I think there's some canceling of projects for that and I think sometimes it's just kind of flat out spite. I've so I've heard that kind of stuff before where like projects will just get oh this was going to happen until this person left the studio. But I've never heard it where a person came on the studio and then was like, Oh, we'll put it out. But like barely anywhere. Fuck this movie.
3: Like that was really weird to read. Here's a a weird bit of biology for you. Uh, When a male lion inherits or takes control of a pride of lions, like scar. Yeah. It will murder all of the existing baby lions so that all of the progeny and the pride are his in order to like further its genetic kind of lineage.
1: Like Scar. Yeah, Yeah. i was gonna say that's where Scar Scar. failed.
3: Yeah, (laughs) we didn't get them all.
1: it to the hyenas.
3: Yep.
1: (laughs) So what you're saying is that Simba had lots of like cousins and friends that got wiped out off screen that we never found out about. So what I'm
3: saying saying is is Simba is is like the beast of war, and (laughs) Scar came in and took over Columbia Pictures (laughs) and didn't do a good enough job at getting rid of the Beast of War. Because here we are, 20 years later, 30 <laughs> years later, talking about it.
1: Yeah. All right. Um. Yeah, only, only other bit uh, I wanted to highlight was we talked uh, a little bit about the tank commander. And I mentioned him, you know, being worthy of like uh, an award nomination or something. He's kind of an interesting character in that as the movie goes on, he's just like this total madman. And is totally dedicated to holding this tank and he also i think it's i mean we're supposed to read that i'm sure that he's like racist uh he's definitely untrustful of his somebody on his own team who's afghan um there's never any explicit like comments that he makes um, but i don't know maybe he's just meant to be like uber paranoid but he reminded me of uh, if anyone's ever read the book the cane mutiny and then there's a movie with um, Humphrey Bogart. But in that book and film, the commander of like a battleship or something is presented as being incredibly like, irritable and tightly wound and just kind of drives his men crazy. And it it keeps escalating as it goes on to the point where he eventually like becomes totally disgraced. So I felt like there's a similarity with that character here. I don't know if it was like being written intentionally, but yeah, the, uh, that commander character, I think stands out amongst all the people in the cast. I agree with that.
3: Yeah, for sure. It's, it almost feels like, uh, even on stage, he would have stolen the show, this character.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I liked how the movie kind of had this, uh, very pointed like um you know very pointed plot in that you're only on this one tank uh team and that you're also seeing a lot of his decisions come back and like bite him in the butt Mm -hmm. um you know like i thought it was a quick it was a quick moment but at one point they poison a water hole yeah To try and get the Afghan uh, rebels that are following them to drink from it and then, you know, kill them all off. And I think one of them drinks it before the others and ends up dying. Yeah. But then like 45 minutes later, after this guy refused to have his team get on the Russian helicopter to get them to freedom because their tank is literally falling apart they make their way back to try and get back on the road they're supposed to go, and then they find that helicopter um, landed next to that same watering hole with everyone dead because they all drank from that same they watering hole yeah. that they poisoned. And I thought that was kind of a a cool way to just kind of show like all these decisions that this guy's made. Yeah, yeah There the seems
3: to be a, a definite in, and uh, intended allegory there or something like, you know, we're fighting this war and we're only killing ourselves, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Waist deep in the big money, muddy. muddy by uh, Pete Seeger. If you've never heard it, it's a very good song about Vietnam, or it's about some other. It might be about Korea, but it's really supposed to be about Vietnam. I already have one song
0: to listen to after this, and it's by Frank Stallone. So that's gonna have Stallone. to stay. On, on the you
3: really to get the full <laughs> effect, you have to see the movie and then go straight <laughs> into Frank Stallone. All I right. didn't even know he sang, and it was so jarring that I looked <laughs> it up and that's when I found out that Frank Stallone sang. That's
1: right, you guessed it Frank Stallone <laughs> All right, anything else we want to talk about for the beast of war?
3: Well, just to quickly note, I think Linton you may have called out Tank Girl somewhere in the <laughs> uh, in the comments that we were working out before this, but I happened to notice that Kaminsky was also in that film oh really? i've never seen it myself but it must be a sucker for tank rolls
1: uh yeah i uh it's been ages and ages since uh, i've seen tank girl but yeah maybe that's uh maybe that's his bread
0: and butter that's just what what he works <laughs> best with tank rolls yeah I, I i thought it was funny because i think Devin you would call it out like i don't know this movie's probably like eh, what Top one hundred historical war movies, <laughs> maybe top ten American historical war well, movies. No, no, no! Yeah, I, mean, I, said, like, that. I said the late eighties, like very he niche. He said the top one hundred,
1: and then he followed <laughs> it up with uh, top ten, maybe American made historical war movies from the late eighties. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs>
3: to be honest, I couldn't name three more that fit that bill, so that it feels like that... a fair bet.
0: I started looking up, and I'm like, "There's got to be a bunch of other tank movies." Like, where's this one fall? And I'm like, "This is this is probably top yeah. five tank movies."
3: I would argue maybe top three. This and might I be can number only one. Name, I can only name Fury, <laughs> and I don't think I that that it. was generally well received. I don't know. I haven't seen it either.
0: Yeah, the only ones I saw were like Fury, Patton, which kind of is a I, tank. I don't movie. know how much the tank.
1: Yeah, it's been a long Patton. time, but I don't think the tank factors into the plot a whole lot.
0: There's a tank in, uh, you know, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah. You can throw that one yeah. in there.
3: Yeah, yeah. Sure.
2: This is the, uh, according to some random list I found just now on the internet, the third best tank film ever. Of how many does it this from
1: uh, like, Is this from like or something? Or? <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, this is, uh, I don't know what website this is. Some random guy makes lists. It's a blog. Well, how, many, how many
3: entries on this list?
2: Ten. Oh, I was hoping ten. it was going to be okay. three. How many so of the so 10 give, 10 give us give 5. us the
1: top ten, Doug. Yeah. What are what are this gentleman's right, top ten we...
2: tank movies? Patton uh, is, is number one. They counted it. Okay. Oh, okay, hold on. He's it's one of those best worst type thing. Okay, he's like best Patton, worst. There's a film called Tank from 1984, James Garner film. Surprisingly, doesn't feature James a Banner? tank. Uh, <laughs> Beast of War. Water Tank. Best Tank Girl. Worst. <laughs> saving private ryan which i would argue is not a not
3: a no. tank yeah probably only there's
2: maybe one long less than scene Patton. that's about them fighting
3: i mean tank. it's probably similar to
1: Patton. i don't know how much Patton yeah,
2: focuses yeah. on the tank
1: he uh, was a tank
2: guy but and then fury best
1: wait then, wait what uh, was oh, saving private ryan what then, was the worst then
2: no it was best they didn't then he just went back oh. to back best and then ended the list at six
3: <laughs> as far as tank movie lists go this one worst did he uh did he still list it as a top 10 and he
1: just ran out I don't know. he ran out okay, and okay. one of them was bad
2: no oh, i got okay i got another list you guys <laughs> We got a couple. There's a couple lists here. (laughs) Uh, They got best tank scenes, best tank movies. But yeah, the beast is on a couple. The beast of war. Quick, Doug. uh,
0: Google best movies with Hamburger Man. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. And see what comes up. Wait, (laughs) uh, what? The The guy guy who's a hamburger man. It's it's (laughs) a dream that Jimmy has
2: nightly about the Hamburger Man. It's a real problem that he's trying to deal with. Oh yikes!
0: The Hamburglar.
2: Them. So what I want to do before we uh before we my last issue that I need to bring up is uh, let's talk about the connection and theme between this film and the film Waterworld. Okay. Okay. I was gonna save
0: Robot Jacks. Was anyone else waiting for a uh the Beast of War tank to have yeah, like a to giant chainsaw or penis a giant or something? robot? <laughs> I was like, come on, let me make it two for two <laughs>
2: And then they get on an outrigger canoe and just sail the water. I'll see you in hell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Crash and Burn. Yeah. (laughs) This is a film where Crash and Burn is apt. It gives a whole new meaning to Crash and Burn, you
2: might say. It does.
1: Uh, But yeah, anything else before we wrap up here?
2: Should have had Kevin Costner.
3: Should have had Alec Baldwin. Danny Baldwin. Get Billy the whole group Billy
2: Baldwin, Baldwin's only it's a bunch of and Baldwins Kevin in a tank. <laughs> and Kevin Costner, and Kevin like... Costner as a mutant, <laughs> right? And it's on water. That would have made a good movie.
3: Sounds like you're describing Waterworld. <laughs>
2: no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, I am. All
1: right. So, would you recommend The Beast of War? I will
2: first. Okay, go, ahead, Devin.
3: Yeah, I I think that uh, you know I stand by my my rating that uh, co- I can confidently say that this is a very good tank based historical war <laughs> movie from the late eighties. And what's more, oh, it used to be I one respect... of the
1: best. Now it's just very good. So its <laughs> estimation is falling. Well, in I don't want to be
3: pre- too presumptuous. Yeah, I uh, I don't want to be too presumptuous. I don't. Uh... I don't presume to be an expert at late 80s American-made tank films. Uh, so I can say that this one is good, though. I can definitively say that if I had not seen it, if I knew more about what to expect, and I saw it on a streaming service or something like that, and I was short a movie to watch that evening, I, I would have watched it, and I would not have regretted and watching it. And you have watched it, because I gave it to you to and watch And I have watched it. Yes, it was assigned me, and I watched it, and I had an okay time. (laughs) It was a good movie. I don't want to sell it short. It was a good movie, and I I think the most enjoyable part of it for me, if you can say that something so dreary and gray is is enjoyable, was watching the actors choose scenery in a way that felt subtle enough and genuine enough that you could tell how seriously they took it and how seriously they took the content and how much they wanted the the movie to do well and it I think it shows in some of the points that Jimmy made earlier about these military uh, liaisons or uh, uh, consultants that they got on the director the Screen, the screenplay was written by the playwright and it felt like everyone had a lot of emotional uh, investment in the production of the movie
0: too bad they just didn't get paid
3: yeah that is a bummer
0: <laughs> um,
3: otherwise maybe you know 30 years later we would have seen Stephen Baldwin as uh, Alec Baldwin's character on 30 Rock who knows <laughs> things could, could have gone much differently
0: i glad we don't Alan live in Stead, that world. And... yeah <laughs> Um, no, I, I agree. I think, uh, I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. Um, when I saw that it was an 80s movie, uh, war movie that I'd never heard of, um, I was like, well, that can't be good because, you know, there's a handful of 80s war movies that I have heard of, um, that are pretty good. So if I haven't heard of it, it may not be very good, but, um, no, I can agree that I think this is definitely, uh, something to check out if you're, you know able to find it or uh, are interested in war movies and i'll actually say like i thought they did a stellar job of kind of making the tank a character in this movie um you kind of just saw how it was breaking down throughout like you saw the inner workings of the the tank like i got a good feel of like how this tank was like was running and how you how it was being you know like actually commanded so um yeah, to, to Devin's point, you could tell there was a lot of uh, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that was put into this. Particularly under uh, the tank treads.
1: <laughs>
0: oh. oh. That was that was just blood and sweat. <laughs> there were probably some tears. Yeah. There was probably He was laughing. <laughs> <laughs> tears of happiness.
2: <laughs> Yikes. Anywho. Take it, it was, away, Doug! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, so I, I like um, war films, uh, just from a history buff. you know, but I also like understand the importance of like an anti-war film, and I think that this film, w- was a good anti-war film, uh, maybe even an excellent anti-war film. Um, you know, if you like, if you want to go to the movies and you want to see a bunch of dudes shooting guns at each other and have a good old time, this is not for you. Um, but I would even suggest that it is more important for you to watch this film or to watch a good anti-war film to realize that all war is uh, is terrible and, and, it, and it's violent and it's not something that really should be celebrated. Um, and this film does a good job of trying to convey that in an actual historical conflict in a very violent and gritty and real way. And so my vote is yes. Um, an important film and a film that uh, you probably won't uh, feel very happy about afterwards, but um, you'll feel like, uh, wow, that was good, and I'm glad I watched it.
1: Yeah, for me, uh, I went into this totally cold. And as I said earlier, that I'm not like a huge war fan, uh, war film fan. I have like Saving Private Ryan, 1917, Patton, Apocalypse Now, Full Metal Jacket, a handful of others. But, and, you know, I've seen other ones when they're famous, like Platoon and stuff, or if they've won Oscars and things. So it's not a genre that I usually seek out on its own merits. But that said, uh, this is very well done, uh, well shot, very well acted, especially considering the cast that you aren't really expecting it from uh, some of these guys, um, you know, that there's no like star power really present in the film, but they all do a solid job. And uh, so it looks good. And then like the actual action sequences are solid. It's very tense. And as Doug's saying, you know, it it has like a, a gravitas going on in terms of the subject matter. And it's trying to kind of, you know, push your buttons and make you think about everything you're seeing. And yeah, not just like, wee, war! Um, so yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's attempting to challenge you, as I'm sure that the stage play was as well. So I would recommend The Beasts of War, particularly if you are a war film fan. I could, if you're a fan of that genre, I definitely could see this being like a kind of lesser known gem that you would come across and be like, Oh, wow, I never knew about this one. And you might add to your collection, which brings us to, can I find this? So, uh, the beast, the beast or the beast of war is out there and you can find it for free on Tubi. It is on Amazon prime, voodoo, YouTube, iTunes, Google play, and probably many other locations. And then there is a DVD that got released um so you can track that down looks like right now on amazon it's only um like used copies so i don't know if it's like getting out of print or if it's a covid related production thing but just be careful that when you search for it for the beast of war on dvd that you do not unintentionally purchase beast wars transformers because those come up as well um so be mindful i think those are
2: very different
0: properties from my understanding I will say, though, if you do accidentally buy Beast Wars, you're probably going to be pretty happy about it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you're on the right
2: track. And
3: to be honest, uh, if you find yourself with a sizable collection of Beast Wars, the resale value is very respectable.
0: The actual toys. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I'm sure that beast yeah. wars takes warfare equally seriously. I'm sure that it gives you a lot to think about, about the beast wars themselves and the righteousness <laughs> of the conflict. <laughs> uh, okay. So that wraps us up for the beast. And we will be back next time with another different genre for us. We are going to be looking at uh, kind of like a mystery Film and uh, it was it was also based on a stage play. So we're going to be looking at the nineteen seventies film *Sleuth*, which stars Lawrence Olivier and Michael Caine. So join us for that.